Section number 42 of Canada, the Empire of the North. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Canada, the Empire of the North by Agnes C. Lott from 1812 to 1846, Part Two. Word of the two hundred settlers having been moved from Red River by the Nor'westers of Macdonald's forcible expulsion and of the dispersion of the rest of the colony had, of course, been sent to Selkirk and his agents in both Montreal and London. Swift retaliation is prepared. Colin Robertson, who speaks French like a Canadian and knows all the Norwest voyagers of the St. Lawrence, is sent to gather up two hundred French boatmen under the very noses of the Norwesters at Montreal. With these, Robertson is to invade the far-famed Athabasca, whence come the best furs, the very heart of the Norwesters' stamping ground. Robert Semple is appointed governor of the colony on Red River, with instructions to resist aggressions of the Nor'westers even to the point of a shock that may be felt from Montreal to Athabasca. Selkirk himself comes to Canada to interview the governor-general about military forces to protect his colony. Robertson, with his two hundred voyageurs for Athabasca, follows the old Ottawa trail of the French explorers, from the St. Lawrence to the Great Lakes, and from the Great Lakes to Red River by way of Minnipeg Lake. Whom does he find on the shores of the lake but Selkirk's dispersed colonists? Ordering John Clark, an old campaigner of Astor's company on the Columbia, to lead the two hundred French voyageurs on up to Athabasca, Colin Robertson rallies the colonists together and leads them back to Red River for the winter of 1815 to 1816. Feeling sure that he had destroyed Selkirk's scheme, root and branch, Cameron has remained at Fort Gibraltar with only a few men. When back to the field comes Robertson, stormy, capable, robust, red-blooded, fearless, breathing vengeance on Selkirk's foes. By the spring of 1816, the tables have been turned with a vengeance. Cameron, the Nor'wester, has been seized and sent to Hudson Bay to be expelled from the country. Fort Gibraltar has been pulled down and the timbers used to strengthen Fort Douglas, whose pointed cannon command all passage up and down Red River. It was hardly to be supposed that the haughty Nor'westers would submit to expulsion without a blow. From Athabasca, from New Caledonia, from Qu'Appelle, they rally their doughtiest fighters under Cuthbert Grant, the half-breed Plain Ranger. From Montreal and Fort William come spurring the leading partners with 170 French-Canadian bullies and a brass cannon concealed under oilcloth in a long boat. 
the object of the plain rangers is to meet the upcoming partners with supplies for the year but is that any reason for the riders who are striking eastward from assiniboine to red river decking themselves out in war paint and stripping like savages before battle the object of the partners is to meet the plain rangers on red river but is that any reason for bringing a cannon concealed under oilcloth all the way from lake superior or do men fighting a life-and-death struggle for the thing the world calls success ever acknowledge plain motives within themselves at all is it not rather the blind brute instinct of self-protection forfend what may listen white men beware beware the cree chief peglis warns governor semple what means the spectacle of white brothers who preach peace preparing for war over a few beaver pelts chief peglis cannot understand except this is the way of white men and now unluckily for governor semple he quarrels with his adviser colin robertson robertson from his early training in northwest ranks reads the signs and is for striking a blow before the enemy can strike him semple is still talking peace robertson leaves red river in disgust and departs for hudson bay to take ship for england the plain rangers it may be explained have uttered the wild threat that if they can catch robertson they will avenge the destruction of fort gibraltar by skinning him alive and feeding him to the dogs also it is well known nor'westers of coppel have muttered angry prophecies about the ground being drenched with the blood of colonists still semple talks peace which is a good thing in its place but this isn't the place my governor my governor please an old hunter off the hudson's bay with semple are you not afraid the half-breeds are gathering to kill you semple laughs pshaw he has law on his side law what is law the old hunter of the lawless wilds doesn't know that word the word doesn't come as far west as the pays don hout it is sunset of june eighteenth eighteen sixteen old chief pegas comes again to the hudson's bay fort on red river governor of the gardeners he solemnly warns governor of the land workers and gardeners listen not much does he add after the fashion of his race only this let me bring my warriors to protect you semple laughs at such fears it is sunset of june nineteenth a soft west wind has set the prairie grass rippling like a green sea between the fort and the sun hanging low at the western skyline a boy on the lookout above one of the bastion towers of fort douglas suddenly shouts the half-breeds are coming semple ascends the tower and looks through a field-glass there is a line of sixty or seventy horsemen all armed not coming to the fort but moving diagonally across from the assiniboine to the red towards the colony and then north towards the colony is wildest clamour people in ox-carts people on horseback people on foot stampeding for the shelter of the fort 
and up to this moment absolutely nothing has occurred to create this terror let twenty men follow me orders sample and he marches out followed by twenty-seven armed men as they wade through the waist-high hay-fields they meet the fleeing colonists keep your back to the river shouts one colonist conveying his family they are painted governor don't let them surround you semple sends back to the fort for a cannon to be trundled out young lieutenant holt's gun goes off by mistake semple turns on him with fury and bids him have a care there is to be no firing the half-breeds have turned from their trail and are coming forward at a gallop there's grant the plain ranger governor let me shoot him pleads one hudson's bay man god have mercy on our souls mutters one of the colonists counting the foe but we are all dead men all the world knows the rest at the knoll where grew some trees a spot now known in winnipeg on north main street as seven oaks grant the ranger sent a half-breed boucher forward to parley what do you want demands semple we want our fort go to your fort then rascal you have destroyed our fort dare you speak so to me arrest him boucher slips from his saddle the plain rangers think he has been shot instantaneously from both sides crashes musketry fire semple falls with a broken thigh before grant can control his murderous crew or obtain aid for the wounded governor a scamp of a half-breed has slashed the fallen man to death two or three hudson's bay men escape through the long grass and swim across red river two or three more save themselves by instant surrender for the rest of the twenty-seven they lie where they have fallen they are stripped mutilated cut to pieces only one nor'wester is killed only one wounded later in order to save the lives of the settlers fort douglas is surrendered for a second time the colonists are dispersed before going down Red River in flatboats, two of the Hudson's Bay people go out with Chief Pegasus by night and bury the dead, but they have no time to dig deep graves, and a few days later the wolves have ripped up the bodies. Near Lake Winnipeg the fleeing colonists meet the Northwest partners with one hundred and seventy men. No need to announce what the spectacle of the terrified colonists means. A wild whoop rents the air. Thank Providence it was all over before we came, writes one devotee Norwester, for we intended to storm the fort. Both crews pause. The Norwesters interrogate the settlers. Semple's private papers are seized. Also, two Hudson's Bay men who took part in the Seven Oaks fight are arrested to be carried on down to northwest headquarters on lake superior then the settlers go on to lake winnipeg at the various camping places on the way down to fort william those two hudson bay prisoners overhear strange threats it is night on the lake of the woods voices of northwest partners sound through the dark they are talking of selkirk coming to the rescue of his people with an armed force 
says the wild voice of a Nor'wester, whose brother had been killed by a Hudson Bay man some years before, there are fine quiet places along Winnipeg River if he comes this way, then scraps of a conversation, then the half-breeds could capture him when he is asleep, then words too low to be heard, then they could have the Indians shoot him, then in voice of authority restraining the wild folly of a bloodthirst for vengeance, things have gone too far, but we can throw the blame on the Indians. The wild words of a man gone mad for revenge must not be taken as the policy of a great commercial company. Meantime, where is Selkirk? He had arrived in Montreal, secret courier, whose advances I had told elsewhere, had carried him word of the dangers impending over his colony. He at once appealed to the Governor-General for a military force to protect the settlers, but it must be recalled how Upper and Lower Canada were to be governed under the Act of 1791. There were to be the Governor, the Legislative Council appointed by the Crown, and the Representative Assembly. The Legislative Council was entirely dominated by the Northwest Company. Of the different Quebec carts, there was scarcely a judge who was not interested directly or indirectly in the Northwest Company. Lord Selkirk could obtain no aid which would conflict with the, that company's policy. Then Selkirk petitioned the governor that, in view of the threats against himself, he might be granted the commission of a justice of the peace, and permission to take a personal bodyguard at his own cost to the west. These requests the governor granted. Thereupon Selkirk gathers up some two hundred of the de Muron and de Watville regiments, mercenaries disbanded after the war of 1812, and sets out for the west. Not aware that Robertson has left Red River, he sends him word to keep the colonists together and to expect help by way of the states from the salt in order to avoid touching the Nor'westers' post at Fort William. The courier with this message is waylaid by the Nor'westers, but Selkirk himself, preceded by his former governor, Miles MacDonnell, has gone only as far as assault when word comes back of the Seven Oaks Massacre. What to do now? He can obtain no justice in eastern Canada. Two justices of the peace at the salt refuse to be involved in the quarrel by accompanying him. Selkirk goes on without them, accompanied by the two hundred hired soldiers, but instead of proceeding to Red River by Minnesota, as he had first planned, he strikes straight for Fort William, the headquarters of the Nor'westers. He arrives at the fort August 12th, only a few days after the Northwest partners had come down from the scene of the massacre at Red River. Cannon are planted opposite Fort William. Things have gone too far. The Nor'westers capitulate without a stroke. Then, as Justice of the Peace, my Lord Selkirk arrests all the partners but one and sends them east to stand trial for the massacre of Seven Oaks. The one partner not sent east was a fuddled old drunkard long since retired from active work. 
this man now executes a deed of sale to my lord selkirk for fort william and its furs the man was so intoxicated that he could not write so the aforetimed governor miles macdonnell writes out the bargain which one could wish so great a philanthropist as selkirk had not touched with tongs before midwinter of eighteen seventeen had passed the demuron soldiers have crossed minnesota and gone down red river to fort douglas one stormy night they scale the wall and bundle the northwest usurps out bag and baggage july eighteen seventeen comes selkirk himself to the promised land there is no record that i have been able to find of his thoughts on first nearing the ground for which so much blood had been shed and for which he himself was yet to suffer much but one can venture to say that his most daring hope did not grasp the empire that was to grow from the seed he had planted he meets the indians in treaty for their lands he greets his colonists in the open one sunny august day speaking personally to each and deeding over to them land free of all charge this land i give you for your church he said standing on the ground which the cathedral now occupies that plot shall be for your school pointing across the gully and in memory of your native land let the parish be called kildonan of the trials and counter-trials between the two companies there is not space to tell here selkirk was forced to pay heavy damages for his course at fort william but the courts of eastern canada record not a single conviction against the nor'westers for the massacre of seven oaks selkirk retired shattered in health to europe where he died in eighteen twenty the same year passed away alexander mackenzie his old-time rival the truth is each company had gone too far and was on the verge of ruin from athabasca came the furs that prevented bankruptcy and whichever company could drive the other from athabasca could practically force its rival to ruin or union when colin robertson had rallied the dispersed colonists from lake winnipeg he had left john clark to conduct the two hundred canadian voyageurs to athabasca for the hudson's bay company clark had been a nor'wester before he joined astor and was a born fighter idolized by the indians so confident was he of a success now that he galloped his canoes up the saskatchewan without pause to gather provisions once on the ground of athabasca lake he divided his party into two or three bands and sent them foraging to the nor'westers forts and hunting grounds up peace river down slave lake at athabasca itself weakened by division and without food to keep together his men fell easy prey to the wily northwesters of those on slave lake eighteen died from starvation those on peace river were captured and literally whipped out of the country signing oaths never to return those at athabasca being leading officers were held prisoners meanwhile the hudson's bay company is defeated at seven oaks and victorious at fort william 
the nor'westers at athabasca were keen to keep the frightened indians of the north ignorant that selkirk had triumphed at fort william but the news travelled over the two thousand miles of prairie in that strange hunter fashion known as moccasin telegram and the story is told how the captured hudson's bay officers let the secret out for the benefit of the indians now afraid to carry their hunt to a hudson's bay man revels and all-night carousals marked the winter with the triumphant nor'westers of athabasca lake often when wild drinking songs were ringing in the nor'westers dining hall the hudson's bay men would be brought in to furnish a butt for their merciless victors one night when the hall was full of indians one of the northwest bullies began to brawl out a song in celebration of the seven oaks affair the hbc came up a hill and up a hill they came the hbc came up a hill but down they went again tired of their rude horseplay one of the hudson's bay officers spoke up ye never asked me for a song i have a verse o me and compassion then to the utter amaze of the drunken listeners and astonishment of the indians the game old officer trolled off this stave but selkirk brave went up a hill and to fort williams came when in he popped and out from the thence he could not be driven again the thunderstruck nor'wester leapt to his feet with a yell a hundred guineas for the name of the men who brought the news here a hundred guineas for twa lines of me in compassion extravagant sir returned the canny scot from accounts held by the hudson's bay company's montreal lawyers it is seen that Clark's expedition cost the company twenty thousand pounds. End of section forty two. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.